Hi, welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. I'm Dr. Yishan. In the sleep field, there is one type of providers called behavioral sleep medicine specialist, like myself. We treat insomnia patients most of the time, but actually, we can also help patients struggling with other type of sleep disorders. For example, restless leg syndrome (RLS) or narcolepsy. So some of these treatment involve psychoeducation to the patient or their family members, help them to achieve some mindset shift, and give them some behavioral strategies to cope with the disorders. But this is a treatment angle from a provider like me, our point of view. How about for those people who actually are living with some kind of sleep disorders? What are some strategies they have figured out to manage their daily challenges? So today, our guest is Matt Horsnell. He's a father of three, and he actually lives with multiple sleep disorders. For example, type one narcolepsy (RLS) and obstructive sleep apnea. Amazing, right? I have no idea how he has managed all this for all these years. Matt actually also a trained speaker for the Rising Voice of Narcolepsy. Matt also works in rare disease field and works as a consultant for pharmaceutical companies and sleep research. So today he will share with us his own journey and the four pillars of recovering from narcolepsy. Let's welcome Matt. Hi, Matt.、Uh, nice to meet you. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Thank you, Yishan, for having me. It's a, an absolute pleasure to be here. I know I haven't been wanting to connect with you for a long time. I heard a lot about you. That you sounds like you've been through quite a lot of journey within the sleep field. Yeah. So.、Um, You know, I, I've heard a lot about you as well. I, I, I love following you on social media.、Um, I feel like it's a great way to connect with with researchers and medical doctors to talk about the experience of, of living with a sleep disorder. And、um, if you'd like me to, I can share a little bit about what that journey has kind of looked like for me.、Um, if that would be okay.、Um, so, about age twelve、um, is when, looking back, I've noticed that there was a lot of. Kind of red flags when it comes to sleep. So that's when sleep really started to become overwhelming in my life. When I was in middle school, you know, my average day would be wake up, take a shower, eat breakfast, and then take a nap on the couch. My mom would take me to school. I would take a nap in the on on the way into school. We're talking fifteen to twenty minute naps here and there. And at school, I might take one or two naps throughout the day. I didn't realize it at the time, but my peers, because they were also taking naps, you know. Kind of infrequently, but but nonetheless, throughout the week, I didn't realize they were staying up till one or two o'clock at night. And see, my my day, I would go home and I would take a nap in the afternoon, and then I would be、I'd、be in bed by eight thirty or nine every night. And this was just this on repeat. And so I started reaching out to my doctor about age thirteen or fourteen, my pediatrician at first, and and talking to him about I'm just really tired. Um, and it and it took me a number of physicians and a number of I missed diagnosis、um, to get to the answers. Kind of fast forward, I, I talked to four psychiatrists,、uh, an internal medicine doctor, and it wasn't until the birth of my, my first daughter when I was 25 I was finally able to articulate 
that I wasn't sleepy because I was depressed. I was depressed because I was sleepy. And so it was the depression was definitely there, but it was because I couldn't get any traction in life. And so, um, you know, I made the appointment at age 25 thinking I had sleep apnea. It was kind of ran in my family. My mom had it. My grandfather had it. And during the intake, my sleep position in just outside of Nashville, called in a, a member of, of his office staff who was working on his fellowship. And he said, you need to listen to this young man talk. And at the end, you know, he, we started asking questions about like losing muscle tone and like my slurred speech and, you know, I was a little bit clumsy. And, and I was, I was a little, I was confused because this, I was here to talk about sleep. And then at the end of the appointment, he goes, Matt, I just want to let you know, we have to do you know, some tests. He explained to me the, the polysomnography and the MSLT, but he said, if I was a betting man, you know, I would, I would tell you that you have narcolepsy with cataplexy. I, I remember just hearing those words and it was kind of incongruent because I heard about it in media, but I hadn't really, you know, I had met one person when I worked in a pharmacy in college who had it, but I didn't make the connection. They had this severe cataplexy manifestation and that's that involuntary loss of muscle tone. And, you know, again, again, I couldn't come to grips with that's what was happening. So I went through the test, fell asleep in all naps. I went into REM in three, all under the eight minute mark. So it was a confirmation of narcolepsy um, with, with cataplexy. Just walking away, you know, he, you know, one of the things that also echoed was um, he goes, Matt, I just got to tell you, even if we just, if, if we took away the, the narcolepsy aspect, he was like, you were really busy in bed and you, you actually had to get up and walk around before you went to sleep. He's like, it, you your, your amount of physical activity in bed, the periodic limb movement disorder, the restless legs, all would make you profoundly sleepy. He said, so you couple that with narcolepsy. He was like, I'm so glad you came in. It, it was hard to hear that, but it was also an answer. And it was an answer I'd been told I had, you know, I was depressed. I was told I had an inattention. And I, and I certainly was depressed situationally, and I certainly did have some attention issues because I was sleepy, but it was the first time I really felt heard. Wow. Sounds like that's a big step forward to get some answers, right? At least to understand what these are. But at the same time, sounds like you have quite several different type of sleep disorders all together in the picture. Very complicated. Yeah. And, and I, I got my diagnosis and, you know, like so many people, um, this was in the early days of social media. So you couldn't just go to Facebook and connect with thousands of peers, you know, in a Facebook group. It was it was relatively small sample size there. So I would go to the library. I would study where I went to school at Belmont. I kind of snuck back in, did some research, read as many books on the topic as I could. Um, and it was frustrating because I was getting medication. We were treating the symptoms, but we weren't really treating the underlying cause. Um, and, and so there was a, a certain amount of, of grieving that had to take place of, you know, I had these dreams, you know, I wanted to become a physical therapist, you know, I wanted to go and help people, um, you know, in that way, I, I love fitness, I love strength, and I had to kind of reevaluate, I wasn't going to be the world's strongest man, you know, not that I was ever really had that um, as, as my ceilings a little bit too low for that. But that was something I was interested in doing was pursuing strength. And it took me a few years to, to come to grips with, you know, I couldn't be the world's strongest man, but maybe I could be the strongest I could be living with narcolepsy. And so, you know, I, I started off, I kept lifting, I, I got after it, I actually met the world's strongest man from the early 80s. And he was so interested in my story. 
that it just gave me this renewed commitment. I've got to make the best out of my life here. It's been up and down. My family and I lost everything in the 2010 flood. Four years after that, my sleepiness was still so profound and so debilitating. I went back for another sleep study and my doctor was like, you know, Matt, you, you also have obstructive sleep apnea, a severe obstructive sleep apnea at that point in time. And so what, what was that mild, clinically insignificant sleep apnea had turned into something that really necessitated that I needed to use CPAP. Um, and so um, it wasn't a hard sell because you told me I could feel better with the CPAP. I was all aboard the, um, the, that therapy. And, you know, the, the joke with my physician now is that, you know, my goal is 100% compliance, you know, every night, making sure I'm hitting my markers for total sleep time and making sure that I'm, I'm using every tool that I have to my disposal to, to, to live my best life. Yeah, I love that spirit, even though there's a lot of difficult stuff going on in life. And some of those sounds like quite out of your control, right? And unpredictable, uncontrollable. But you are still, sounds like there's some kind of um, internal spiritual rock inside of you. I'm going to still make the best out of my life. I can still do what, what I'm passionate about. I can take good care of myself as much as possible and follow the lead of the doctors. And you're doing all that. And I'm curious, all those helpful to you? Yeah. So Project Sleep and Julie have come up with a really cool foundation, what they call the four pillars of narcolepsy treatment. And it kind of speaks a little bit to that and how I live my life. So you've got naps, medication, social support, and lifestyle adjustments. And in order for me to live my best life, I have to have all four of those legs of my table balanced. And if I don't have that, then I'm going to stumble. Um, and, and it's about balance. And I'm, I fall on my face all the time. So you know, I, I don't want anybody to walk away from this and think, oh, Matt has everything together because no, I've picked myself up so many times. Um, it's just a part of the process. Um, but for me, you know, you talked about the, the source of that strength. Um, I have um, two teenage daughters, um, one of which is about to graduate from high school now. I've got another who just turned 16. I've got a nine-year-old son. Um, these were my reasons for waking up. And one of the things I hope to, to talk with you today about is the struggles with relationships and the importance of social support with peers. You know, I, I lost the relationship with my kid's mom um, in part a lot due to the fact that I was living with the sleep disorder. For years of life, we didn't know what was going on. My communication wasn't stellar. It meant that I had to kind of, again, reevaluate, reprioritize what's most important. Taking care of my kids, being a daddy, taking care of my health so I can take care of my kids. Um, but yeah, kind of keeping that as my foundation. How do I move forward just one step at a time, get out of bed to help, help get the kids to school is a success for many days. Yeah. Well, I think I love the four pillars of how to you know get better uh, dealing with narcolepsy. And I'm sure it's very helpful to deal with many other sleep disorders, right? And actually, I interviewed quite a lot of guests talking about narcolepsy, but they, they all, some of them have relationship, like romantic relationships, some of them don't, but many of them mentioned definitely peer support and this kind of support are really important. But I think you touch on a very important thing is the relationship with the partners, the romantic part. I cannot imagine if you are struggling with so many sleep disorders and sounds like it's already impact your own functioning, right? How can you even like maintain a work, 
and take care of yourself, and you have to have some energy and time to take care of the family, be there for them. Wow, this is just、uh, hard to imagine for me. It's tremendously challenging, and as I said, I've learned so much from my mistakes. I can't really tell you how I did it successfully, but along the way, I, I've learned from those mistakes and missteps. I realized that I needed to put surround myself with positive people, and so that wasn't the relationship I had with my kids' mom, and so I needed to find that somewhere else. And so I found myself after being married to her for over a decade. I was actually the primary care parent of all three kids, and so for about three, almost four years, I was. The one responsible for the day-to-day activities with the kids, sole custody of my oldest, primary custody of my youngest, and I, I had almost given up hope on finding a relationship that was a good give and take. What could I offer? Because as you alluded to, my my life was so focused on the kids, making sure they had enough, making sure that I wasn't going to get sick from trying to do too much,、um, and I, and I really kind of blessed in in a lot of ways to find. A partner who who's she's a licensed professional counselor, and she just balances everything. You know, my kids have just bonded with her instantly.、Um, she understands that if I say, you know, sweetie, I need to take a nap, that she's okay with that. You know, and, and you know, I also have to. It's it's work though. Like all relationships, it's a lot of work. You have to reach out and to, to your partner and say, I need help. You know, helps. It is a four-letter word, but it's not. You got to learn to say it comfortably, especially as a guy.、Um, you know, it, it seems like that that comes hard to a lot of us. But just ask for it. Say, I I can't do this by myself. And when I found a partner who loved me for who I am, loved me for even though I had narcolepsy, that was a huge step for me. Wow, that's very warm. Just by listening to that, because myself, I also do couple therapy as part of my clinical work, and、uh, I feel like sometimes you know, at you as an individual, you have very strong resilience in you. I I heard a lot of about that, but still, you cannot do everything on your own, right? Especially when you have a partner, how you two can work as a team together. And uh, uh, understand each other's need, and be able to step in when the other person is not available. I think that sounds like you guys are doing that. And for narcolepsy itself, I remember when I learned about this knowledge professionally. There's part of the behavior treatment suggestion is to bring in family members to educate them. Right about what people with narcolepsy really need. For example, they need naps. They need other kind of support. How to teach family member how to support them is the best. So I think you you really doing that in your life. And I, I can't tell you how important it is what you just said. You know, we you know I facilitate small groups for wake up narcolepsy, and we have some caregivers. We've had partners and spouses that come to these meetings as well, trying to learn. About what their loved ones are going through, but so much is about you know the communication, the sharing with your partner. I still see somebody. It's been about a maybe a two months now, but I need to go back and make that appointment. I think this is going to be a good motivator to go do that. But I, I need to check in and have a safe place for me to talk. I need to talk about those issues that that are coming up,、um, and that that then allows、um, my partner and I to kind of come to some some resolution and understanding.、Um, and again, I have to prioritize. 
my relationship, you know, in the same way I prioritize my, my health and my way, my time with my kids. Um, so it's a delicate balance, but I guess the, the primary currency there is just communication. You know, I have to tell her what I need. She has to tell me what I need. And sometimes that, that doesn't work. And then we have to say, I love you. And let's figure out a way that we can compromise and meet in the middle because that's, that's the only way that we're going to get this done. That's already great that I love you. Let's talk about this and figure out, right? Instead of like, no, <laughs> no way. Yeah. My way is a highway. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, it's a credit to my partner for, for, she has the communication skills in abundance. And so for me to see her setting that example, um, and we have to have hard conversations, you know, you, when you're a parent of in, in a blended family, you got to have conversations about boundaries and making sure that we're doing the best job for the family. We're both contributing both housework chores wise, we're contributing money wise. Um, and, and all of that, again, it's, it's about let's sit down and let's talk. We like to go on walks together. That's kind of our time where we get out and um, it's getting a little chilly. Uh, neither one of us like the extreme cold, but it's something that we try to do a couple of times a week. You know, when she's not in a session, you know, it's nothing that forces me you know, it's too physical, but it's enough that we can get together, just hold each other's hand, walk side by side and, and talk about stuff, um, whether it's me listening to what's going on in her life or talking about how we can be better parents. Yeah, sounds like uh, I, I hear a lot of wisdom from this relationship, yeah. right? Create this intimate moment, open up for conversations, including difficult conversations, but challenge that or discuss that in a nice way. And I think one thing you mentioned is so important is to don't be afraid to reach out, ask for what you need. If you don't reach out to your partner, to other people, they will not know you have a need. They will not know what they could do to support Right. And you mentioned that peer support group. I heard from some other guests before, too, from uh, Wake Up Narcolepsy, which I also recommend to some of my colleagues and patients. I think that's such a great uh, resource that I hope more and more people know about that and have your own therapist. It's, it's great that you can find time to do that. Even occasionally, I think it's all, it's important to us all to have some. A safe space to talk about things, bounce up ideas, and therapists can treat you without any judgment. It's it's a very different feeling. It's different than what you can get from friends and families. No, and it's, I, I love what you said there. Uh, a couple things to touch on. You know, the importance of that peer to peer support really can't be understated. You know, when I'm one of the things that I value most about those groups is I get to build relationships with people and we can connect on social media. We can share cell phone numbers um, because, you know, those, those rough days don't just happen right before group. It's going to be on a Friday morning when I just don't want to get out of bed. And if I need to send a message to a friend and say, I just need someone else to know that I'm struggling and just to feel like you're not alone and isolated, it goes a long way to, to helping you work through some of those moments. Um, you know, if I have a tough decision I have to make and it's about, you know, balance in life, I might reach out to someone. I've got a friend who's an octogenarian who's been living with this for over 40 years now. And I can talk to, I can talk to him and he can provide me perspective. You know, I, I, I get to learn from him and the groups provide a chance for me to learn from people who just got diagnosed two weeks ago because I get to see the world through their eyes. You know, they're, they're asking so many questions and those questions 
make me think. And it's like, okay, well, am I actually living this example that I'm trying to set? And do I need to do a better job, recenter myself and, and focus on making those good choices? Um, but then also, one of the things that my parents did a wonderful job, even as we were searching for an answer when I was young, is they encouraged me to talk to a therapist. And so literally since about age 16, I think 17, I've been seeing somebody off and on. Uh, has A year hasn't gone by that I haven't connected with somebody most of the time that's fairly consistently to work through those issues. Um, because again, we're limited from our own perspective and a therapist can kind of push us and help us grow, um, whether it's CBTI, mindfulness, whatever, you know, CBT in general, however, whatever approach needs to be taken, it, it's helpful to, to have somebody walk on that journey with you. Yeah. Wow. That's so, so important to know that I am not alone. And I feel like you've been experienced that this whole time. You build up relationships with other peers, with other people. And I'm happy your parents, your family sounds like quite supportive and guided you when you were younger and you are trying to build this kind of professional connection, kind of professional support for yourself continuously. Yeah. And one thing that when somebody does come to group, my, my first recommendation is, you know, make sure you, you educate yourself on living with these sleep disorders. So for me, it's been narcolepsy, sleep apnea, um, and it's been RLS, but make sure you know what the prescribing guidelines are. So use like the American Academy of Sleep Medicine's guidelines, but also make sure you understand the resources that are available um, through the Society for Behavioral Sleep Medicine. Make sure you're connecting with, with physicians and therapists who can help you on your journey because nobody's born with a, a with a, a, a map of how to live life. And especially when you throw sleep disorders into that equation, you know, your roads start forking and it's tough to know which way to go down. I hurt so much in those first few years of diagnosis um, because I felt alone and I felt isolated and I was making mistake after mistake. And those mistakes have value and more worth because I can then share those with other people. I can say, look, you know, I tried that and it didn't work. You know, you may want to think about trying another option or reaching out, finding another support um, avenue to, to help kind of fill yourself up. Um, but when, if someone can benefit from those struggles that I had, it, it definitely makes those struggles have some more value. Right. Definitely. Definitely. I think it's great. Like there are so many people like you really outspoken of your own journey and help lead, co-lead this kind of support groups. It just reminded me recently, I think it's a large narcolepsy day, right? So I created a Chinese post because there's recently a Chinese news about a girl actually sounds like narcolepsy. And then diagnosed within China. So I use that news to write a post. Even today, like every day, there are going to be some Chinese comments under there say, wow, I have everything. I have every symptom. And, but, but there's not a lot of resources in that language and in that field in China. So I'm, I'm, I guess, right, in many, many countries in the world, possibly sleep science is not as well developed. But if people can speak English, sounds like there are some support groups available. Is there any like resources people can read more about narcolepsy, about different sleep disorders to educate themselves? Yeah. So 
my go-to reference for learning about living with narcolepsy is through Project Sleep's Rising Voices of Narcolepsy Stories. Um, they also have what's called the Narcolepsy Nerd Alert, which is both a podcast and some YouTube videos. And it comes with actual promotional material. So like you actually have a PDF file that allows you to, to go through the research. You get to hear some of the stories that are being shared. And it just gives a, a great kind of best practices way to live with this condition. And, you know, in addition to, again, the support groups that we talked about connecting with, with your peers, um, one of the things I think has been so cool to watch grow here recently is Julie with Project Sleep started World Narcolepsy Day a few years back. And so I've had a chance the past two years to connect with advocates from across the globe. My hope next year is to actually have six continents represented. I had five um, the past two years. But to really learn more about that experience. Um, and to your point, you're, you said it so well, there isn't an abundance of materials in enough languages across the globe, but there's a lot of great organizations globally that are working to kind of democratize that information and to get it out there into their community. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great to know. And uh, um, I will put some of the website uh, in the show notes also. Is there any like books or anything else? I think you wrote some books yourself too, right? I, I've got a number of blogs that are available that we can I can make sure they're included um, through a company called Health Union. They, they do a great job featuring patient advocate stories. The books that really helped me the most were, are going to be Wide Awake and Dreaming by Julie Flygar. It's her memoir on living with narcolepsy. I actually have given that to about five or six of my family members. It was funny. I, I, I work with pharma companies. I talk about living with narcolepsy, but until they read it in someone else's words, they really didn't understand truly what the, what I was going through. There's something about reading it in such a, a just plain spoken, but articulate way that Julie's able to, to tell her story, that it helped my mom understand what it's like for me. It helped my brother. It helped my cousin learn to understand what I was living with. Um, Sleepyhead by Henry Nichols is a great book that talks about sleep broadly. Henry also has narcolepsy and he's he's out of London, I believe. And then from a parent's perspective, there's a book called Waking Matilda by Claire Crisp, who's the, the CEO of Hypersomnia Foundation and a, a good friend of mine. And it talks about her journey trying to get her daughter Matilda a diagnosis and some of the walls that she ran into and how it impacts, again, the family that you talked about. So those are probably the three books that I say, go out, read those, and it's a great way to understand what it's like. Great, great. Let's put that in the show notes too, so people know book to read. And sounds like, the, I like that idea to send those books to family members, right? They don't have to find a doctor face-to-face, teach them every single thing. By reading, they possibly can already know some basic and then they can go out to do more search or ask the right questions to doctors to understand how to support you. The Rising Voices of Narcolepsy program through Project Sleep, it allows individual storytellers to talk about their own symptoms and experiences. And I had a chance to do that with with Project Sleep as well. And our symptoms all are under that broad umbrella. We all, you know, there's all, there's that pintad of narcolepsy symptoms that people with, with type one narcolepsy have, but we experience them differently. So my excessive daytime sleepiness might be more than someone else's. Someone else's cataplexy might be a little bit more profound than mine. You know, one of the things we talk about often in group, you know, partial cataplexy is cataplexy. And so when I slur my speech or in my knee buckles, 
even though I'm not fully collapsing, that's an example of cataplexy. If I do a head bob, you know, when I'm watching a movie because um, I'm laughing too hard, or you know, if I if I drop my phone, Lord knows I've dropped my phone more times than than I care to admit. When I, when my when my kids have, have snuck up on me and startled me a little bit, um, you know, our symptoms vary. But when you can hear it from someone else's voice too, it helps people understand. Oh, okay, this is you know, oh, they had a, a hypnagogic or hypnopathic hallucination. What does that mean? these videos can describe that in pretty good detail. Um, and it, it's just a great way of kind of passing along the information. Don't take my word for it. Here's another advocate who's sharing their story too. Yeah, I love this. Uh, when I learned sleep knowledge, one thing I always remember is sleep is individual thing. It's very different, right? Even when I treat insomnia patients, that's what I treat the most. Every single one of them are so different. Uh, even though it's all insomnia and narcolepsy, narcolepsy is the same. Yeah, well, and um, I'm glad you said insomnia. One of the things that that we talk a lot about in the groups is we have this disrupted nighttime sleep um, that we experience, and and a lot of people who who come will come into group and they'll talk about, oh, I was diagnosed with insomnia before I realized I had narcolepsy because I couldn't sleep well at night, and it's this kind of stigma and stereotype of narcolepsy, someone who just falls asleep while they're sitting upright. You know, you know, it's really that's one of the reasons I decided to talk about it. But it there's so much that goes on, and again. My disrupted nighttime sleep is completely different than some of my peers. And so it's great that, that we have different voices telling similar stories, getting that message out there. Right. I think what he just mentioned is another important point that sometimes we could have multiple sleep disorders altogether. And even these different symptoms can mask each other, make certain sleep disorders possibly underdiagnosed or got ignored by us or by providers for a while. So for you, I know you've been dealing with three or four at least different type of sleep disorders. Uh, in your own journey, like what are some suggestions you want to give to any listeners who may struggling with similar things? They have multiple yeah. things going on. So um, do the small things. So for me, I have to use that CPAP to give myself a chance to be awake in the morning because my meds just won't work. Um, don't be afraid to try different polypharmacy approaches for narcolepsy. You know, you talk to your doctor about this. Don't just take my word for it, but find a, find options that work for you. We're kind of at, in a golden era of narcolepsy research in terms of understanding what causes it in type one narcolepsy, but also the medications that are available so talk to your doctor to find solutions that work for you. And if something doesn't work, don't be afraid to say, hey, can we try something else? Um, physical activity, Ishan, has been so important for me, managing the periodic limb movement dis disorder issue and then the restless leg. Um, so every single day, I have to get some level of physical activity. You know, part of my job is sitting down. And so I've got a pull-up bar in the in the living room where I go and I, I'll knock out a full pull-up, a few a few pull-ups in between, you know, meeting times. Um, again, I, I alluded to earlier that I go on walks with my partner, making sure that I have a normal amount of physical activity. Iron supplementation has been very helpful with restless legs, keeping those issues down at night. I recently, like like so many Americans, dealt with COVID and being in bed for so long and not moving made my, my restless legs so much worse. Like I, I just, you know, I was, I had 
evolved and developed all these best practices of, of movement and living my best life. And then that, you know, getting sick threw me down for, for a couple of days to a week. And I had to even get up and start walking around, you know, making sure that I wasn't bedridden, that, that it was going to carry over the night for me because as frustrating as the disrupted nighttime sleep from um, narcolepsy can be, so too is that that sudden urge, that burning urge that you just got to move your legs um, right when you're trying to go to sleep. It's infuriating at times. Um, but for me, also getting up and getting out of bed, you know, it, I, I'm sure this is something you've talked with uh, with some of your clients about. If I'm in bed for longer than 20 minutes and I'm not asleep, I'm getting up. I'm going to go walk around. I'm going to sit. I like to do artwork as a way, you know, to stay away from my phone, stay away from the TV, but just do some small artwork. I like to, I glue um, invertebrate fossils together, which is a whole story I could get into. Um, But it's my way of kind of expressing myself and we get to go out with my family and we collect these things, but do something and then go back to bed. You know, don't just lay in bed for 30, 45 minutes, because again, that for me, the anxiety, the frustration, the preoccupation with not being able to get to sleep just feeds that disruption. So find find ways to to adapt to get out of bed, do an activity, and then come back. Hopefully, you're a little bit more exhausted and ready to kind of wind down. Wow, this is great. And many of these, I think, is doable, right? Uh, not too hard to really include in our daily life. And I think they are really consistent with the four pillars you talk about earlier especially the uh, lifestyle, how to adjust that, how to make that um, helpful to our own challenges we are dealing with. And sounds like you are figuring out a way, like physical activity. It is important when I treat patients with insomnia, but for your case, you realize it can really help with your uh, sleep disorders in what way, right? So that's great. Yeah. And again, we, we talk about individuals too. Um, I know that we've got people who come to my group who have idiopathic hypersomnia and physical activity for them can be overwhelming and exhausting. Um, and so it's, it's important for me too, when I'm talking with my peers to understand kind of where they're coming from too, and not just, you know, again, you, you've talked about this too. It's individual, not just put this cookie cutter approach, but okay. If you can't do this lifestyle adjustment, what is something you can do? You know, let's focus on an actual solution that works for you and then adapt it and grow from there. Because I, I didn't start off being able to work out, you know, for, for 30 or 45 minutes to an hour at a time. It took me incremental, you know, additions to get to that place. So find what works and then kind of grow it from there. Yeah, I love that. It's not like I just gave you a method, do this, do that, because I have a lot of very anxious people coming in. They could not sleep well. They're like, just tell me what to do. Right. Don't don't tell me all these like theories and research and all these other things. Just give me a method. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. that can cure me. Not that simple. No, it's it's really not. Um, and when I realized uh, and I learned to accept that this was gonna have to take a, a multifaceted approach, it, it came to it, I was a little more comforted. Um, it's a lot of work, you know. My my life revolves around sleep. I have to think about when I'm going to take my next nap. You know, I'm, I'm preoccupied with making sure that I get enough total sleep time, you know, making sure that, you know, I, I'm doing the right things to put myself in the be- best position to sleep as best as possible. Um, that consistent rise time is so important for me. Um, you know, 
I get my kids up and get them out the door at the same time every day. I may sleep in 30 or 45 minutes on some weekend days, but I try to keep it as consistent as possible. Um, and if I need to go back, I can take a nap later, but making sure that I'm getting up and getting out, starting my day at about the same time has been just a game changer in terms of how, how to live my best life. Wow, this is great. I was just talking to someone yesterday. They were like, oh, I'm like, you know, free running style. My my circadian rhythm always delayed every single day. I cannot get up consistently. I was like, I'm sure with some help with the right method, you should be able to um, set a consistent wake up time, right? That's that's doable. And we when you think about that, instead of saying, no, I cannot do that. Give me another method. Yeah. It's uh no, that's such a great point. And, and being a dad of three, some nights I'm not going to be able to get to bed. I'm either going to be helping one of my kids with homework. You know, one of them might have a, a problem with their boyfriend or a friend at school and they just need to talk through it. And that's when I got to put my dad hat on and just do my listening and, and help out. My, my wake up time is something that I do have a lot more control over. It's hard. It's very hard to get out of bed when I don't want to. But it's something that I can do. And that usually sets myself up because I'm ready to go to sleep that next night at a more more reasonable hour, or I can at least get to sleep a little bit quicker than, than I might otherwise. I feel like you set a really good model for possibly a lot of people who are listening. And no matter what kind of sleep challenges they are facing, right? You are doing a lot of things that really consistent with what many sleep doctors would recommend. And your own experience actually hopefully can encourage someone that, you know, trying this, it could work. And try at least try it out. It, if it works for you, then keep on doing it. And we are all capable of optimizing our sleep in some way. Yeah, no, that's a great message. And um, most of what, what we just talked about is stuff that I've picked up from experts like yourself, from expert, experts like my friends um, in the sleep research community, just listening to what they have to say. And again, it may not work for me every single time, but let me try it. Let me see if it'll work. Change one variable, see if I can make that work. If it doesn't, I can try something else. But you know, keep an open mind too when they throw out suggestions. And it's so easy to want to do that just take the simple path. But normally that's a simple path will come with simple results. It won't necessarily fix the problem that you're dealing with. Yes. Yes. I love that. If you want to go with the easy way, right, there are going to be consequences Mm -hmm. or things won't get better than what. (laughs) Again, the most important thing for me is to make sure that I'm ready to be a dad, ready to, to be a good partner. You know, part of that means that I need to raise awareness so that, that I can help, help my community as well. That's an investment in me because I come away feeling a little more fulfilled and a little more energized. But yeah, just prioritize and then try try different strategies. Yeah, this is awesome. So near the end of the show, Matt, I want to ask you any resources, any other information you want to give out and that we haven't mentioned? Yeah. So one thing that um, I, I just quickly touch on um, is accommodations. Um, so workplace accommodations, accommodations, if you're a parent, you have a child in school who has a sleep disorder, you know, there's, those are called 504 accommodations. Um, there's uh, AshJan is a, a network that has the job accommodations network. It's a great resource to learn about uh, accommodations in general. And they have some sections on narcolepsy. That's a great resource. Um, 
Hypersomnia Foundation and Wake Up Narcolepsy have put and Project Sleep have all put on webinars about how to how to ask for these accommodations. And it's not that you're accepting a free handout; you're actually just giving you giving you the tools and resources that you need to succeed at the workplace. And that's something that's been so important for me is making sure that I'm able to contribute to raising my family. I've been blessed to have a, a wonderful partner who can help with that. Also, I've had to live on, you know, government assistance for a while when I was trying to do the single dad bit. But again, just don't be afraid to ask for help. If, if you could just put in my um, social media handles and, you know, feel free to, to, for anybody who's listening to reach out and ask me, and I'd be happy to connect you with, with somebody in the, in, a, in an area that, that might be able to provide some more assistance on some questions. Yes, great. So sounds like we have a lot of resources, including your social media handle to put in the show notes. And hopefully everyone who are listening, who are interested, or if you are facing similar struggles, right? Some of these resources, some of the experience Matt shares can really help you out. Thank you, Matt, very much for your time today and for so brave sharing all this uh, wonderful experience with us. Thank you so much for the time, Ishan, and just um, appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, I like to call it the gospel of sleep. It's the good news of sleep, getting it out there and talking about it. So appreciate Thank you for listening. At the end, I want to remind you of the sleep resources my clinic offers. Myself, I just launched a new sleep podcast in Chinese, and I co-hosted with another therapist. And I also have two CBTI insomnia treatment courses, one in Chinese and one in English. You can find them at deepintosleep.co slash course. So great to have you today. I'm Dr. Yishan. I will see you next time. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently. And there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.